Hey, I'm Triana Butler and welcome to a very special installment of Queer Thinking. Sydney Mardi Gras are celebrating their 45th anniversary in 2023. And over this four-part series, we're taking you on a journey through time as we tell the full story of one of the largest pride movements in the world. From the protest of 1978 to over 1 million event attendees at the first World Pride in the Southern Hemisphere and everything in between, we're unpacking all the moments that made Sydney Mardi Gras the force for pride, progress and community that it is today. The conversations you'll hear on this season of Queer Thinking were recorded and produced on the sacred lands of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung and Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation, along with Gadigal, Kamaragal, Bidigal, Darug and Darawal lands. We'd like to extend our acknowledgement to all lands on which you're tuning in from, pay our respects to elders past and present with a special acknowledgement to Rainbow Elders, part of the longest continuous culture in the world. Sovereignty has never been ceded and this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. And if you're Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander, please know that this podcast may mention the names of people who are no longer with us. Well, if you've listened to this special 45th anniversary series in order, you've heard us go through the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the noughties, and now in this episode, we look to the 2010s through to now and the future. Joining us today are Iwaja, Malik Malik, and Badu Island artist, performer, creative producer, and co-festival creative director for Sydney World Pride 2023, Ben Gratz, and a man who's been involved in two decades of LGBTIQA plus advocacy, currently legal director at Equality Australia, Gassan Cassasia. Hello. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I know, Gassan, you've been involved in LGBTQIA plus advocacy for quite a while now. Take me back to when you first started with that and what it was like at the time. Uh, the first campaign I worked with was with the New South Wales Gay and Lesbian Rights Lobby on the Age of Consent, um, equalisation. So young men um, in our community had an age of consent at 18 when it was 16 for everyone else. Um, And that was my first foray into LGBTI advocacy. And then from there, once that was equalized, I worked on um, parenting recognition, recognition of families and relationships. Then on to, of course, we saw marriage equality in 2017. And now we're doing a lot of work around um, particularly trans rights, intersex rights, and cleaning up the gaps in our discrimination framework. Well, I'm keen to ask you about that a little later on. But before we get there, you know, around about 2010 is when this episode is starting. Um, tell me about what you remember of what things were like in the early 2010s for the LGBTQIA plus communities in Australia. Well, it's um, interesting because 2010 was the cusp of the recognition of our relationships as de facto relationships. So we had at that point um, achieved recognition of families and couples in most laws like taxation, immigration, and superannuation, or the Asians. Um, but then, uh, you know, the big fights that were ahead at that time were marriage equality. Also, actually, federally, we didn't have national protections against discrimination on the basis of sexuality, gender identity, or um, what was then described as intersex status. That came in 2013. So there's still a lot at that time that we were um, still to fight for, in particular around marriage and discrimination protections. Of course, in 2016, there was a fairly significant uh, moment where, of course, formal apologies were made to the 78ers from the New South Wales government and New South Wales police and Fairfax media. Gassan, what do you remember of that time? Well, it's... um I remember the parliament also acknowledging the 78ers um, 
and their contribution. And it was quite amazing to think how far we had come from a place where we started literally with arrests and brutality and there was now a recognition of how far our movement had come. But also, I mean, we're still seeing today the legacy of that hurt and that um, and that violence. And we've got a special commission of inquiry at the moment in, in New South Wales on murders and homicides have been uh, unsolved, partly, I think, because of the attitudes at the time and in investigating who was responsible for those. So it, it was significant, I remember it, but I think um, for a, a lot of our community, that pain continues and that even though there's been progress over many years, many of us still live with some of the, the trauma that has come from, from that history as well. Let me jump to 2017. So this was obviously a big year for our communities. The theme for Mardi Gras that year was creating equality, which was very much what we were all about because that was the year that marriage equality was on the line. We had the marriage equality postal survey, which obviously came through later that year. Ben, let me ask you first, what do you remember of that Mardi Gras and of that year? Well, I definitely remember the plebiscite, um, that's for sure. I was trying so hard to not say plebiscite. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's such an ugly word. Um, it's not a good one. Not a good one, yeah. Look, to be honest, it was a really traumatic time, I think. I think what was great about it, actually, was was the community coming together and rallying together. So I definitely remember that. And I also remember um, even a part of, like, Darwin Pride is that, you know, the community, it was our one of our biggest marches and parades and the support behind that was so incredible. Um, and so I remember that, yeah, for, for Mardi Gras as well as the community banding together. And it's something that we do so well, you know, we know how to come together. Um, but I think personally, it was a really traumatic time. What about you, Gassan? I mean, I remember where I was the moment that the, the vote came down, but there was a lot of advocacy work that had gone into it before that moment. Talk me through what 2017 was like as a year for you. So at that time, I was working at a commercial law firm and I'd been working for about five years on a communication that went to the UN about um, recognising a overseas same-sex marriage for the purposes of divorce. So the idea was if we couldn't um, change the law in Australia, we might try and get the international uh, fora to accept that at least for the purposes of divorce, same-sex couples should be recognised. Um, and I was representing a client at the time who had been estranged from her partner, um, her wife, and had been left in legal limbo because her marriage was neither recognised in Australia, but when she travelled everywhere else that did recognise it, um, she had a wife and she couldn't leave that status. She was sort of stuck in this limbo. So I remember 2017 in, in that respect, it felt both incredibly amazing to see how far the public had come. And when I was stood on the... Um, on Equality Green by Central Station when the vote was announced and just like absolute euphoria, but also just so much exhaustion from those three months had been quite difficult, lots of difficult conversations with family and colleagues and felt very much like our lives were under the spotlight in a way that I'd never experienced. But thankfully, we did have a good outcome. But I think, again, uh, a lot of the the fight of that time put a, a real fire in my belly for, you know, how much there was still left to do, but also 
just how hard it was to get some of those wins on the board because, you know, for a long time I think the public was um, behind us, but the political political realm was just sort of stuck and couldn't find a way out um, until the people voted to let them, um, you know, take that forward. Well, 2019 was the year that Kylie was down in the parade, but was also the year that Sydney won the bid to host World Pride in 2023. Ben, your face just lit up. Look, you're really taking me back into, you know, like memory lane here. Um, But yeah, October 19 was um, when a group of us travelled over to Athens, Greece, um, and brought Sydney World Pride back to Australia. Yeah, that was a pretty special moment, actually, looking back on it now and then also reflecting on World Pride, it now being over. But yeah, it was an incredible journey to be able to go with um, a team to bring um, World Pride home back to Sydney. So when you say bring World Pride home, is it like a, an Olympic torch kind of thing? Do they <laughs> completely? It's like so you have to um, put a, a bid in a proposal, and then you are up against three other countries, and um, it's at the Interpride AGM. So Interpride holds the license for World Pride. It's at their AGM. Like there's over four hundred people in the room, and then there's people all over the world who vote for the World Pride. Yeah, you have to you have to do a big campaign about it because you want people to bid for you bid for you. So we were up against Montreal and Houston um, and Montreal was kind of the um, you know put forward as the winner and they also had a big budget and a lot of kind of personnel behind them and we were the underdogs as we always are in Australia the underdogs to come in and um, and I think that you know we really showed them as people know we were the first country in the southern hemisphere or the first people in the southern hemisphere to host a world pride so it's always been the northern hemisphere so it was a kind of for people to understand well how's that going to work and it's in March when it's supposed to be during like you know summer in Europe. So it was all very like to try and help people understand. The biggest thing was like, it's so far away. How are we going to get there? And so we had a lot of things up against us, but we knew with our story of the 78ers with Robin Kennedy being there talking about the 78ers and our First Nations history and our proximity to um, Asia Pacific, like that was our strengths. And we really, um, yeah, leaned on that. And obviously it made a difference and we won, we won the bid. Take me into that moment. How did it happen? Oh God, it was it was actually so each country you have twenty minutes each to do your presentation and and literally at twenty minutes they cut you off. So if you haven't finished, you it doesn't you just get you get cut off. So um, we had technical complications at the start of our our um, PowerPoint wasn't starting, and so we were like, oh my god, <laughs> and so we knew we had to because we timed it and we knew how long it was going to be, um, and so we went through it and we had an incredible. You know, I was up, uh, me and Nana Muskuri, who um, a lot of people will know is Gadigal Elder from Sydney and an incredible drag performer. And so um, Graham did an acknowledgement of country um, and spoke about First Nations people. And um, and then we went into the history of the 78ers and Robin Kennedy got up and spoke um, a really moving actually about um, being there at that time 
and 78 and being at the police station and hearing the screams and seeing people get bashed and being locked up and, you know, people in the audience were crying and, um, you know, and then we obviously brought it home talking about how incredible, you know, Australia is and, and Sydney and um, our First Nations culture and the Asia Pacific region and, um, and yeah, and then we um, had to wait and then come back the next day. <laughs> so, they don't tell you that day. So, they've got to count all the votes up. And then that night, so after that as well, you know, we had a team in Australia and in Athens calling all of their connections of the prides around the country, um, you know, to make sure that people were voting and to, you know, put in the vote. And and then we came back the next day and, yeah, it was announced. And um, I remember we were just all, the group of us, there was 11 of us there and we just all jumped up and screamed and cried and, um you know, it was a very, it's a very moving moment, and then there was a big task of actually putting the event on. So, Sydney Gainer has been Mardi Gras, um, went for the bid, and then on return, once we got it, Sydney World Pride, the organisation was set up. So, um, the two worked very closely together. But it was a, you know, very um, incredible moment, and I feel very honoured to be a part of that journey from from the bid all the way through to the um, delivery of the event. Well, you're the co-festival creative director for Sydney World Pride, so you'd be very aware of, you know, this incredible high of, of winning the bid in 2019 directly into Mardi Gras 2020, and then two weeks later, cities shutting down and COVID hitting the place. How did that kind of play in your mind coming into this, what's going to be this huge event that we kind of suspected was going to be the biggest thing in Sydney since the Olympics in the year 2000. Like that feels like another almost insurmountable wall must have appeared in front of you. Oh, absolutely. And like back then, so I didn't start with World Pride till 21, March 21, but, you know, for obvious reasons, the world kind of shut down in 2020. And so, yeah, I think I, think I was at Mardi Gras 2020 and it was, I remember, because then everything closed down around like April. And so it was the last, yeah, proper <laughs> Mardi Gras until World Pride. So, um, you know, through those, you know, 21, 22, um, yeah, it was a challenging time for Mardi Gras. And yeah, very much with World Pride, it was like, what is the festival going to be? And Copenhagen, who actually won the bid um, to host the World Pride before us, their World Pride was in 21. So they were right in the middle of COVID. So they went ahead, but it was very much a hybrid um, festival. And and um, only um, our CEO and executive producer was able to go over to Copenhagen. But um, yeah, we had all planned to go over there and be a part of the Copenhagen. But because of the challenges of COVID, it didn't happen. So um, yeah, we were very fortunate that um, throughout those two years, um, you know, everything kind of leveled out and we were able to run an event that um, we had hoped for and really was, you know, a, I suppose a blessing in disguise was an event that opened up the city again and, as you mentioned, was very much spouted as, you know, similar to the Olympics and um, something that kind of affected the city as big as the Olympics. And, um, yeah, so the timing was definitely on our side, but it was very touch and go during those two years. Well, what was also strange about those two years was we were away from our spiritual home of Oxford Street. We were over in the SCG. 
Let me tell you, as someone who's running around at media, so I did. Uh, I was on air on Joy 94.9. In 2020, we were on top of the roof of the Burdekin, which was incredible. We got like the best view ever. Into 2021, SCG, where I was in like a, the underground player race where the players run out, no internet reception, no ability to see what the hell was going on, right? <laughs> it was like just a total, total chaos moment for me, right? But it was such a strange moment to be there in the SCG and be like, yeah, okay, like it's, it's Mardi Gras, sure, but like... You know, we're not in the street. You know, there was there was a different feeling to it, right? Oh, absolutely. And I think you know, a lot of people actually, you know, really enjoyed the the opportunity of being in a stadium in a controlled environment. Well, that's it. There was a, a whole lot of uh, like accessibility reasons that it was great. You know, people who would normally not be able to see too much of it, people who were perhaps wheelchair users, were much more readily available to get into the venue and to see the entire production. Absolutely. You had a bar, you had a bathroom, you know, like... <laughs> oh my God, sorry. Was- <laughs> I'm missing the important bits here. <laughs> it was very civil. But, you know, I do, you know, a, a big part of it as well is why, because, you know, cause people were like, why isn't it staying there? Well, there's kind of obvious reasons, you know, we you can't have those those massive floats um, in the SCG, like it was very much just kind of marching. Um, and also, you know, Oxford Street is the spiritual home of, of, you know, and it's about that protest and it's about a march, a pride march. And I think, you know, when we were able to go back on the streets in 2023, it was such an incredible moment. And I think it was, I think it is the biggest parade they've had. And so there was just such an energy for it to be back there. And, you know, it was a very special moment to be able, after two years of being at the SCG, to to bring it back. Look, my dream would be is that which is never going to be possible, is that you do the parade and then the parade goes into the SCG and people are able to, you know, sit and watch it. But we unfortunately, we can't take those beautiful big floats into the SCG. So that'll never happen. I think the thing that sticks with me from certainly the 2022 years, this was gained at the SCG, was me bawling my eyes out seeing Darren Hayes get to perform one of my absolute life songs, Affirmation, Originally by, you know, Savage Garden, but this was like the Darren Hayes version in a gosh darn stadium, like absolutely having the moment that that song deserved. I was bawling my eyes out, let me tell you. Do you have like a a particular memory, Ben, of a performance that you've seen that really moved you at, at a Mardi Gras event? Oh, gosh, there's lots. There was heaps through World Pride, Kylie in 2012 doing her 25th like anniversary it was just I'll never there was condens I'll never forget it was there was condensation falling from the roof because <laughs> there was so which is gross but there were so many bodies it was so packed and it was so hot that even when she came out she was like I have never been this hot in a performance before like it was like full on but the performance was just like like flawless and I but I think you know I do love the SCG there were a couple of um Vanessa Amorossi of course was of course another, another one of my faves well of course it is the 45th anniversary of the Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras but um a huge part of that this year was Sydney World Pride and I was lucky enough to be up there at the Human Rights Conference, which was a, a huge three-day thing. Um, actually, Ghassan, let us let me bring you in here because I know you were pretty heavily involved. Uh, I should get you to speak to this. Ghassan, what was the, the World Pride Human Rights Conference like? Like, tell me about that experience. Well, 
if you can imagine, you know, thousands of people coming from around the world talking about LGBTI issues, not just in Australia, but the Asia Pacific and um, and globally, the first thing I think um, that struck me was just that we're everywhere, our expression is diverse, um, and yet we've got something that connects us together despite all the cultural and linguistic differences um, that binds us together. And our fights are different in some places, but common. We have a lot of common opponents, um, a lot of common arguments that uh, we have to um, come up against. And, you know, different parts of the world are at different stages of the the move for liberalisation and um, decriminalisation, protection from discrimination. But it was quite incredible to see on the international stage where those um, early days of Mardi Gras had led to. And we had ministers of the Crown announcing huge LGBTI policies in health, in foreign policy, um, at this international conference that brought together diplomats and human rights defenders and corporates and uh, unions. Like it was, it was such an incredible moment to think um, from little things, really big things had grown and that we could also stand with, you know, our siblings in, in the Asia Pacific who are now looking at the same kinds of fights that we remember, but also things they could teach us about, you know, particularly trans cultures um, and how they've been revered and, and welcomed within their own cultures such that we could draw inspiration for some of the uh, movement against the backlash to trans rights in Australia. I think the part of what made it so remarkable was the fact that being the first World Pride that had happened in the Southern Hemisphere, there were a lot of voices that were able to contribute to the conversation from our part of the world that had never been included in those conversations before. So with that in mind, you know, what were some of the things that you took away from the Sydney World Pride Human Rights Conference? I I feel um, in some ways I'm a bit of a, a hardened activist has been doing it for so long and I didn't think that I'd be so moved, but I really was. And I um, hosted a, a panel at the very beginning of the conference, which was 12 human rights defenders from across the world. There'd this been was like a whole day one, of, right? Like this was really yeah. early on and it was kind of like a whole group of people coming across the stage. Yeah, and, you know, and, and it was... Um, It was a lot of work to get that panel together because we were all in different time zones. Um, And I think people can still see it on iView, but there'd just been a series of dignitaries who'd opened the conference. And now it was the people on the ground who are day in, day out facing oppression and pushing the agenda forward, um, you know, our rights forward across the globe. And First Nations people from... Um, Australia, but also, you know, people working in um, Eastern Europe with the pushback against, um, you know, in Russia and people in Central Asia and people in the Caribbean and just hearing the stories of, you know, this court case that has taken us forward and then things like, you know, organisations that were flourishing in the Middle East in places where it was criminalised and just the amount of resilience um, and creativity of the community across the world and how it actually just found sites of resistance and liberation even in the most extremely oppressive societies. So it was incredible to hear those stories. And that for me was the moment where I felt really grounded in a global movement um, for change, which is 
achieved a lot, has met a lot of adversity, but, you know, the strength of those people and the courage of those people and their voices and just our personal stories are really what took us forward, I think, in, in building those connections. It was really incredible. Well, that almost brings us to the very end of this journey because it is now the 45th anniversary of the first Mardi Gras from back in 1978. So from this point, kind of looking forward to the future, what do you, you want to see happen for the next 45 years? Like, what are your hopes for that? Well, I think the first thing is with what is next is not to lose sight of the fact that there is still a lot to be done today. We live in uh, an Australia where religious schools in many places are still able to discriminate against members of our community in employment, in education. Religious service providers can turn us away, um, uh, you know, based on religious prejudice. We've got laws that don't protect intersex people um, from being able to uh, make their own decisions over their own bodies. And of course, we're seeing a huge backlash on the issue of trans rights. And although making great progress in, in recognition of gender and discrimination protections, we're seeing an undermining of access to gender affirming healthcare. So the next 45 years, I would like to think about the way that we will build more connections with a whole bunch of communities for some very basic ideas like the ability to have autonomy over our own bodies and lives, the ability to make decisions about what feels authentic and right for us without judgment, you know, to enter spaces where we're treated with dignity and respect and without a sense of fear about if we show ourselves, what will that look like in terms of the response? Will we be met with indifference affection or we would be met with hostility. So I think those are like the very bread and butter issues we still experience, even though there's been great changes. But for a lot of us, I know that those experiences are not universally felt in terms of safety, dignity, respect. Um, and that's what I hope we will be focusing on. I hope that, you know, in 45 years that we, um, maybe that there isn't a Mardi Gras, that it's, you know, that we that it's, we don't need to kind of, you know, fight for equality is that it's just there and it just exists and that we just, you know, are one. Like, I think that would be the ultimate dream. But, you know, until then, we love having parties and, you know, we are still fighting for equality. And that's one thing that, you know, we have to remember is that, you know, at the heart of all of our pride events, we are still fighting for equality. So I hope in the future that, um, you know, there aren't, there aren't pride events is that where, you know, it's, when you know, when we're not fighting for equality that we are just we are just one um but you know in the meantime i think we we still need to ensure that you know more um you know people of color first nations people are in the you know decision making roles they're in boards they're the they're the artistic directors they're the um ceos of these organizations um and that they're from the top all the way down because i think to me that's when we're going to really um have an all-inclusive event where everyone feels represented and also looking at different, you know, like all, all of our different genders and identities and, and ensuring that, you know, everyone's been heard because I think it's really important that there are parts of our community that are still, um, you know, not heard. And I think it's important that um, it's about equality and equity 
you know, and ensuring that we're all we're all doing this together. So, um, yeah, I'd like to, yeah, maybe Mardi Gras in the future that it's like you know we've got a we've got a First Nations Black queer lesbian who's running the ship. <laughs> that would be amazing. Right, make note of it when it happens. You heard it here first. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us today and for looking back at the last 13 years of Mardi Gras and bringing us into the future. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening to Queer Thinking, presented by the Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras in collaboration with Joy, Australia's rainbow community media organisation. If the content of this episode has raised any issues or concerns for you, support is available. For a list of support services, head to mardigras.org.au forward slash support. That's mardigras.org.au forward slash support. For more episodes of the Queer Thinking podcast and to check out upcoming Queer Thinking events, visit mardigras.org.au forward slash podcast.